Man, thank you, you two. Thank you. All right, well, let's take out our handout sheets that was given to us at the front door. Take out our Bibles. If you don't have one, there's under one under the seat in front of you. We are in part 23 of our series to the book of Isaiah, and some of you maybe were invited or came in the first time just today, and you're thinking, what in the world am I doing in part 23? Well, you're actually going to be very thankful you came in in part 23 because... Maybe you've heard this phrase before, diamonds glisten and shine the most against a black background. So that's how when you go into the jewelry store, a lot of times they have black velvet underneath the diamonds and that causes them to reflect and shine more brightly. Well, in the same way, we have been going through this book of Isaiah and it's been pretty rough. As a matter of fact, we are now going into chapter 54 in one of the longest books in the entire Bible, 66 chapters long. And it has been pretty rough because Israel, the nation of Israel, we're reading 2,700-year-old male. Israel was under God's discipline and judgment because they had rejected what he built them for. And so we have watched them go through very difficult times. As a matter of fact, not only in 586 B.C. were they taken out in the north by the Assyrians... But in 722 B.C., they're taken out in the south by the Babylonians. They have a captivity. They're in captivity for 70 years. They are lost, and they're wondering, God, uh, I thought we were your people. I thought you loved us. I thought you cared about us. There's all this destruction and chaos, and everything is hard for us. And he was letting them know for chapter after chapter, I want to love you. I want to bless you, but you won't let me because your heart is filled with rebellion against me. Well, sure enough, against that dark background, all of a sudden comes this oasis. While God is in the midst of discipline, he begins to share with them that he has made a way for them to live and that he has a bright future for them. Right there, while they are still in their wickedness and sin, he gives them a message of grace. So last week, we talked about 700 years before it ever happened, in a prophetic, supernatural way, God called the shots of how he would send his Messiah, Jesus, into the world, the Son of God, to die on the cross for the sins of his people, and began to mention very specific things. He would come like this, he would live in this area, he would die like this, he would resurrect like this, and he would reign like that. He does all that 700 years before it ever happens. We were all amazed at the message last week, and you go, well, why didn't I show up last week? That would have been awesome. Because all of that is leading up to this. Today, in the book of Isaiah, is one of the greatest invitations of all time. It's an invitation to you personally that all of that message will apply to you. We cannot cram that all into one message, and so we had two pieces to it. But first, we are going to read through an ancient document, and I'm going to help explain a few things along the way. When we get done with that portion, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, save me. Now, 
It's not going to be a manipulative thing. I want to share with you ahead of time. I want you to come forward at the end if God is moving on your heart. And even right now, you're going, well, good. At least he's not moving on my heart. Give him time. We got a little bit of a message to go. And what you will find is that ever increasingly, he will share his love with you. And he will say, no, no, no. If nobody else was in this room, I would still share this message just to you. And although it is not all about you, I love you so intensely that I will go to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate that love. I will send my only son to take all the hits of hell that you never have to. That I will send my son who does everything perfect and right in his life so that he can trade and substitute his life for yours. He will show you all of that drama and love and care and more and then he will invite you to himself for the rest of us that are here today that know jesus as our lord and savior and we already are trusting in that we're already living in grace and forgiveness and the lightness of heart that it brings dad has some presents for you too just wait till the end Let's begin in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is simply this. He died that we might live. He died that we might live. What I want is for everyone here within the sound of my voice to know that he died that you personally might live. Not a general call, not a, I know some people got saved. It's, I know that I need a rescuer and he rescued me personally. I want everyone to be able to consider this today and to walk out refreshed and brand new. So let's begin with a rather bizarre, cryptic, kind of old school poetic message. And it begins like this. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, around page 614, 615, if you're trying to catch up with us in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. It begins like this. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Now, I would like a quick show of hands. How many of you have not been reading the Bible more than a year? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right, good. There's some of you. Do you feel lost? Okay, here's here's the insight. Everyone's lost. Nobody has a clue what I'm talking about. Nobody has a clue what I just read. So if you feel lost, you're in good company. All right, so let me explain it, and once I explain it, you're going to go, oh, that's easy. Here's how it works. In the Bible and in the ancient world, when they would refer to people groups or nations, they would refer to them in the feminine. Just like, for example, if you ever hear about the name of a ship or a boat, almost always it is feminine. Why? I don't know. It just kind of goes that way. And so when God refers to nations, he will refer to them as women. In the same way, he's talking to his people group, Israel, and he's referring to them as a woman and using analogies that make sense to women in the ancient world. In the ancient world, being childless or not being able to have children was considered a curse and it was something that disrupted your whole being in society. So if God's going to talk to a nation and talk about the idea that you feel like you have been abandoned, that you don't fit anymore, that you feel left out and hurt and ravaged and feel terrible on the inside, what analogy is it going to use? This one. So here's how it sounds. Again, 
Rejoice, O Israel, who does not feel that they are growing as a nation, but they've shrunk because of their captivity, where they feel like they don't have a future because now they're held under the Babylonians. Now they feel like they've been whittled down to this tiny group. Not only are they not expanding with kids, they're shrinking in size. Cry aloud in rejoicing you who have not had an opportunity to be blessed for a long time. Because when I'm done with you, your children will be more numerous than all the other nations around you. Now, does that sound encouraging? Yeah, that's kind of how you end up having to read it. So it picks it up again in verse 2, same theme. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. All that means is get ready to remodel. Blow out that wall. Blow out that wall. Because you're about to have a whole bunch of kids. A whole bunch of blessing is coming rolling into your nation. When I take you to that place where I am your king. Referring to a future millennial kingdom. There are times that God has brought refreshment upon the people of Israel. But he has not fulfilled all his promises to them yet. There will come a time in the future when Jesus himself will lead the nation of Israel and it will have the victory they had always desired and he had always promised. When that comes in, he says, you can't even contain the amount of blessing that's going to flow into your nation. And verse four, look at that verse four, and you will forget the shame of your youth. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Anybody got shame in their youth? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. We know. (laughs) Ever since the internet, we're pretty clear. (laughs) Have you ever been driving down the road, driving down the road, and you get this thought of your past, and your head goes, like that? Have you ever done that? Where you just have this little brain freeze, like, oh, that was me. (laughs) Oh, that was awkward, right? And you're you're thinking of somebody in the past, you're like, oh, I hurt them. Oh, I hurt them, right? All that shame, whatever it is that creeps up in your past, of things that you're embarrassed about, and that rejection, that shame, and that abandonment, all that bad stuff either that you did or was done to you, he said, my new memories with you, my new adventures with you, my new life with you will eclipse those old memories. You know, I've been asked a lot in different settings, usually the Ask Pastor Lance time, so do you think that we're going to remember stuff when we get to heaven? And I said, yeah, I don't think that we're going to do the little men in black, you know, just shoot the light out and everybody forgets. I don't think God's going to go, Peter will go, come on through, come on through, right? I don't think he's going to do that. I think that absolutely we're going to remember. But here's the intriguing thing. Do you currently live in the same fear of when you started kindergarten? You know what I mean? When you're a little kid, you're just like, oh, I'm going to my first day of school. You don't have that fear anymore. Why? Because all your new memories eclipse your old memories and it's not an issue anymore. Will we be able to remember? Sure. Will it hold on to our hearts? No. Not when you see Jesus in all his glory. Not when you begin to have sin wiped out. Not when you start having all these pure, beautiful, amazing relationships. Not when you begin to see the new creation. You know what I mean? That's going to change everything. He's giving them a hope. He said, why is this possible? Verse 5. Because your maker, your creator, is your husband. The Lord of hosts, the warrior God, is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Why can you have a bright future? Because God is on your side. That's extraordinary. 
Now, this is where guys get uncomfortable. Oh, God's my husband, huh? I don't need a husband, dude. (laughs) Awkward, right? All this stuff. Well, listen, I don't know what kind of analogy you want to use, but God uses a bunch of different analogies. I already used one earlier, but check this out. Sometimes God says, I'm the father and you're my kid. Sometimes he said, I'm the husband, you're my wife. What do those things have in common? They're relationships. They're not just any relationships. They're the deepest, most intimate, and close relationships. Sometimes he's trying to highlight his authority. Sometimes he's trying to highlight his love. In this particular passage, he highlights his love, so he uses a husband-wife. And then everybody goes, uh, you know, in their hearts, well, why can't he be the woman? And blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's the deal. Listen, you feminist, here we go. In the ancient world... 2,700 years ago, who he's talking to, in the culture of the time, there was not the equality. As a matter of fact, all responsibility was on the man to take care of all those things. He was to provide for the house. He was to protect the house. He was to purchase the dowry. He was to do all these things. Everything was contingent upon the man because the woman had no freedom to take care of him or take care of herself because society wouldn't allow it. In that environment, if God wants to use an analogy that makes sense, wouldn't he say, I'm the protector, I'm the guy that provides, I'm the guy that will rescue you, I'm the guy that will come in and sweep you off your feet, I'm the one that will do everything that is required. That's the point. He's trying to convey his love. So you may not like the analogy, it may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but understand what he's trying to say to you. Verse 6. This is where things get rough. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but in great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger for a moment. I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your redeemer. All right. This is where we get into romance novel stuff. All right, this is where it gets all tumultuous, okay? Here's the thing. What God just said was, my people, like a husband, I've been with you, but there was a time when I lost it, I called a boundary, I turned my face of blessing away from you, and I shut you down. I will restore you. My love will not allow me to stay there. My love will propel me and compel me to once again restore you back and woo you back and love on you. And you ask, what has Israel done that would make God need to draw such a ferocious boundary to be able to call it and say, no, we're not doing that anymore. What would make God as the perfect husband shut down his wife for a time? Well, God asked a prophet to share this analogy by living it, and his name was Hosea. Now, last night, we had a lot more youth and kids in the congregation, and so I had it a little bit more PG. I'm still going to keep it there, all right? Mostly for the older group. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's how Hosea's story goes. Hosea... This is the Lord. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Yes, Lord. What do you need? Well, you're my prophet, right? Yes, sir. So you're going to share and do whatever I ask you to do, right? Yes, sir. That's what I do. Well, I have a job for you. All right. So what's that job? I need you to get married. Lord, I like it already. 
This is a fantastic calling, Lord. I'm very much in agreement with this. So who is she? What is she like? Well, I have good news and bad news. Good news is she's a looker. Really? Really? Tell me all about her. What's the bad news? Well, she works on Broadway. What's that? Well, actually, my friend, I need you to go marry a prostitute. Seriously? You're messing with me, right? Is this like God humor? Because it's not super funny. No, no, no. I do need you to marry a prostitute. As a matter of fact, you're going to marry her and she will have a hard time separating from her old life and she will continually cheat on you and actually have kids that aren't yours. And I need you to take her back time and time and time again. And I need you to be devoted to her and love her despite how many times she rips your heart out. How about that calling? Man, you thought Jeremiah's was rough. You thought Job's was rough. Hosea's wasn't a piece of cake. What was the point of doing all that? Do you understand there's a whole book of the Bible that's that. What was the point? That's how God feels. Israel ripped his heart out over and over and over, no matter how many times he loved on her, no matter how many times he was committed and devoted, she wanted everyone but him. It's almost like this all relates to us, huh? It's almost like I was preaching a sermon. It's almost as if you were created, I was created for a purpose, just like Israel, that we were to demonstrate to the world what God is like, but we don't even know Him because we never spent any time with Him. It's almost like we were built for a purpose to demonstrate to the world God's intentions towards them, but we're so selfish, we don't talk to anybody about God, it's all about us. It's almost as if, at some point, we've been cheating on God so much, He says, enough! shuts us down, re-racks, blows our life out just to get our attention, and then begins to be gentle. Well, what if that happened? Most of you are living that right now. The only reason you're in church is because that happened. Did God set a boundary? Yes. He wants to demonstrate his love to you, but he can't even get your attention. You say, for a brief moment, it got rough there. What do you mean brief? Well, their captivity currently is 70 years. Their last one was over 400 years. So God's brief and our brief are a little different. We want everything quick, right? So God, you're going to discipline me. All right, next five minutes, all yours. It's like, you know what? I can walk you through decades of difficulty. Here's why. Your heart is so hard. You're not listening to me. And then if you did turn to me and I did some shocking thing that got your attention, you're going to ignore me later. You'll just go right back to your life. You're so bent on doing your own thing. Take a look at verse 11. Oh, afflicted one, torn down Jerusalem, storm-tossed and not comforted. They've been through a rough season. Behold, listen closely to how I view your future. Let me tell you what I think of you, even in the midst of your rebellion. Check this out. I will set your stones, your gems, in antimony. Now, this is silver. Now, some would say it is the settings of silver that you put the gems into on a ring. But what's intriguing, it has a double meaning because in that day, women used that silver into a powder and they would put it under their eyes for makeup to make their eyes look pretty and pop. And so it's almost as if he's saying, in my view of your future, I want you to get dressed because we're going to go out on a beautiful date. 
I want you to get ready to be with me because I'm going to bestow upon you favor and love and blessing and kindness. I will give you gems and jewels. He said this, I will relay your foundations with sapphires. I will make the ramparts on your castle of multi-striped gems. I will make your gates out of red precious stones. All your walls will be precious stones. Meaning, wow, do I have a future for you. Now that's pretty romantic. Then you say, you know what? The best way you can love on me is love on my kids. Right? I've heard that before. Look at verse 13. All your children shall be taught personally by the Lord. That's Jesus himself. And great shall be the shalom of your children. I will take care of you. I will take care of your children. I will take care of your present. And I will take care of your future. You shall be far from oppression, verse 14. You shall not fear from terror. It shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you will fall because of you. Verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You know that verse. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. He talks about once I'm in that protector role again, once we can move away from this whole, I got to get your attention, I got to discipline you. Once we move from that, we can move into blessing time and talk about the joy and the beautiful things I have prepared for you. And then comes the beautiful invitation. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk, lavish blessing and refreshment without money and without price. There's a couple magic things about that. Number one, it's free. You know why it's free? Because you could never pay for it if you, could, if you tried. Number two, it's already been purchased for you. And number three, it's how he wants it to be out of love. What you just saw is grace in the Old Testament. I know everybody likes to think that in the Old Testament, it's always God being the tough guy. In the New Testament, he's squishy. I'll tell you this right here. I want you to come to me if you are spiritually thirsty and dry. If you feel like you've been living for yourself and it's just not right. Something inside of you is not right. You know you've been built with many layers. You've been built not just with a physical body, but you've been built with a soul personality. But deeper than that, you've been built with an eternal spirit that you know you are designed to last forever. And that place is lying dormant in you. That is dry and weary. It is not not even been awakened it feels dead if that is you god calls out to you and says i have made a way for you through my son jesus christ to come to me all you who are thirsty now what's fascinating about this is jesus christ quoted this twice in the new testament he quoted it to the woman at the well he said hey you're coming to get a drink how about you get a drink for me and she said well i don't know i guess so and he said, you know what? I need to give you a drink. She said, you don't even have anything to draw water with. He said, you know what? If you even knew who I was, you would ask for me and I would give you water that's eternal water, everlasting water. And she's like, man, you're weird. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what it means? It means that when you finally find the one that satisfies your soul, you're not always craving for another. 
Jesus also quoted that in the middle of crazy busy Jerusalem on the most packed day of the year, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, all the Jews jammed in around Jerusalem talking about the future Messiah. And right there in that busy time, Jesus stood up in a loud voice. He shouted, Isaiah, come to me, all you who are thirsty. I'm the Messiah, the satisfaction of your soul. In Revelation, he says it again. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Come to me, you who are thirsty. I will give you living water. It's interesting because over and over the Bible calls out and keeps inviting. Come, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we can fix that big problem of the sin in your life. You go, I'm a good person. Good people don't get to heaven. Perfect people get to heaven. And that's not you. How are you going to get perfect? Well, the only way is to trade for a guy who did it perfect. That's your only shot, your only chance. And he extends that to you free. It's not this idea of now I got to pay. Does it cost? Yeah. Well, I thought you said it was free. Well, it depends on what you consider free. Can you buy it? No. And that way it's free. Is he going to do all the work? Yep. Then what do you mean it costs? Well, I don't know. How much does surrender cost? Depends on what you consider valuable. In God's opinion, it's free because everything that you think you're giving up is garbage. So if you're afraid of losing your garbage, then you probably think it costs, right? I mean, if you think garbage is awesome, it's very expensive. What he wants to do, you say, what does it cost if I come to Jesus? What does he want from me? He wants all of you. He wants to start completely over. Oh, so he's going to try to ruin everything I got going on? Trust me, what you got going on ain't all that. The good stuff that you have is only because of the grace of God, and he wants to breathe life into that. Like, for example, your marriage, he wants to breathe life into that, not ruin that. The relationships that are healthy around you, he wants to breathe life into that, not ruin that. But if you got unhealthy things, he's not cool with his kids getting hurt. So, yeah, he's going to take out that garbage, and he's going to stop you from hurting yourself. So, yes, in those ways, he will bring about changes. But the bottom line is we've got to start where the starting point is, and that is... Is your spirit dry? If it's dry, you have an invitation. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, he said. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Let me bless you. Incline your ear and listen deeply and come to me. Humble yourself and come to me on my terms. Hear with your heart that your soul may live truly and eternally. And I will make with you an everlasting promise. Come to me and let's get married. That's what he said. What do you mean humble and come to you on your terms? When I get done preaching this passage and it's time, I'm going to have you get out of your seat and come up and sit on the stairs and I'm going to pray for you to be saved. Well, Lance, I think that's a terrible idea. That's super awkward. Let me tell you a story. In the Old Testament, in the book of Second Kings, there was a man by the name of Naaman. He was a super powerful guy, gave Syria their victory everybody thought he was a hero but he was a leper he had leprosy he heard about this prophet in israel by the name of elisha that could cure leprosy 
So he rolls into town and he's met by the prophet's front guys, his PR guys. And they come to him and they said, Naaman, we're glad you're here. We have a message from the prophet. Yeah, what's that? I got all kinds of money. I'm ready to pay this dude. Let's get this thing done. Well, what he wants you to do is he wants you to wash in the river Jordan seven times. He wants me to what? Wash in that nasty thing? Heck no, I'm not doing that. I'm a Syrian man. We got a million clean rivers up in Syria. We certainly don't need your dirty water. Okay, we'll tell the prophet that. They go back home. He goes back to his servants and his servants are like, Master, are you kidding me? He just said, if you wash in the river, you're going to not have leprosy anymore. What is with you and your pride? So he's like, well, you're right. And he washes in the water seven times and he comes out clean. Here's my point to you. You think God's going to make things comfortable for you? No. Why? Because he wants you to own it and believe it. Let's finish the passage out. The reason why this is all true and real is because of verse 4. Behold, I made him, the Messiah, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And behold, Messiah, you will call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you will run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. You know why that matters? He's talking about non-Jews. That's most of us. That's our invitation. A nation that's not Israel will run to God. That is us. We run to God. So verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, you trying to put, trying to rush me? You trying to put a time limit? No, I'm saying I don't know when you're going to get hit by a bus. I'm just trying to be polite. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Well, you know what? That's good for those kids. I've lived too long, done too many things. God's done with me. Seriously, you're that pompous? You think that your sin is too big for God to handle. Really? You ain't got nothing that he can't handle. I shared this with you before, I'll share it with you again. One of the greatest evangelists in the entire New Testament who wrote more books than everybody else. The stuff that we study every day was a Christian killer. Are you a Christian killer? Is that what you used to do? I don't think so. So if that's the greatest evangelist for Christianity, I think you're in good hands. There is no pit that you are in that he cannot reach you because it's not that deep. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Jake, can you come on up here? Here's how it goes. Who is God speaking to right now? You know because perhaps you can't wait for me to stop talking so you can run into the arms of your Savior. And I'm kind of in the way. Some of you are nervous because you go, I don't know if maybe that's me. Maybe it's not me. Maybe I don't, I don't know. It's you. Some of you are saying, hey, I want that, but I am freaked out and I'm not going up there. Do not let your fear stop you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray 
and I want to pray for you. So you're going to get out of your seat right now, and you're going to come up and sit on these stairs on both sides. I will then pray over you. You're going to pray along with me in your heart. And then you're going to be led back into this curtain area and other people are going to pray over you and make sure that you have everything you need. We're going to take care of you because we are here as ambassadors for God to tell you how much he loves you. Right now is only a message of devotion, love, and how much God adores you. Jesus Christ has paid everything. Do you need to be free from your past? Do you need to be free from that baggage? Do you need to become spiritually alive and excited? Do you need to have life breathed into your soul? Do you need to stop feeling alone, stop feeling abandoned? Do you need Jesus Christ today for the first time? Get out of your seat and come on up here. Come on up and have a seat right here. They know that their Jesus called them. They're making it personal. They know that if they were the only ones in the room, Jesus would do that for them. How much more does he need to do to demonstrate his love to you? He's saying, come to me. Come to me. I want to rescue you. You're not safe. And I can't rest until my kids are safe. Who else needs to be rescued? I know this isn't it. You can resist all you want, but at some point, you need to realize Jesus loves you too much to let you go. Come on up here. Who else? Yeah, amen. Let's do this. Come on up. Who else? Amen. I know there's more. We're waiting on you. Amen. Come on up. These are all God's kids, yeah? Amen. Come on in and have a seat. Two more. Who are you? We're waiting for you. Who is it? I know there's more than that, but only two of you are ready to go. Let's do this. Anybody else? I would hate to walk out of this day and you're going to go, oh, I regret. I should have went up there. I was so scared. Oh, you think they're not uncomfortable? Yep, amen. One, two. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Your daughters and your sons are here because they want you. They don't want what other people can give them. They don't want any more stuff. They just want freedom. They just want a cleansing. They want your blood of your cross to cleanse them to where they don't have to carry around that guilt and that shame and that fear and that wondering anymore. Lord, would you rescue us? You promised that if we would confess your name, that if we would invite you into our hearts, that Lord, you would take care of all of our past, all of our present, and all of our future. God, we know that who we have become is not sufficient. We know that you built us to have relationship with you and we don't. And so, Lord, we want to start it right here, right now, that Father, that you would wrap us up in your arms, that you would love us and hold on to us and squeeze out all that garbage. Trade Jesus, your beautiful life for ours. Lord, we willingly confess we are sinners. We are wrong. We know in our hearts that our selfishness has consumed us at times. So, Lord, we want to be about your agenda, be about you. We want you to come in and pick us up out of the muck and the mire and the dirt and the slime and set us free, wash us clean, and give us brand new clothes. Lord, transform us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We confess to you, Lord, our need of you. You are the only Savior, the only one that will rescue us. And we know that as we run to you, Lord, we don't know all the answers. We don't know how it all works, but you do. So we have come up to this stage asking to be rescued. You said, Lord, those that come to you, you will not turn away. You have said that if we chase after you with all our heart, you will be found. You said, Lord, that if we ask, it will be given to us. You said that if we would seek, we would find. If we knock, the door will be open. Lord, we are asking for your freedom even now. Lord, I ask that you would rescue and make them brand new. That, Holy Spirit, you would fall upon them in Jesus' name. That you would empower them for all they need to do. God, give them your Holy Spirit that they might be guaranteed beautiful salvation. That their future is bright. That they have no more fears and worries about what will happen next. That God, they know they are in your hands. Lord, begin to even now heal them from the pains of their past. Even now, begin to strip away the old stuff and give them a brand new heart. Lord, allow them to let all that stuff go. That Lord, that the weight of the world would be lifted off their shoulders and cast away. And Father, that there's only lightness in their hearts. That there's a freedom that they can breathe deeply and their shoulders are light once again. Lord, give them a brand new start to walk with you. Rescue them and save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, Lord. Amen. 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 <laughs> Proud of you. What I would like to do is if you that have come up here, if you could just follow my friend right here, right out through the side, he's going to take you back there and get you a few things to make sure you're okay. And the rest of you, if you could have a seat for just a moment.
dad's got some presents for you. And here's what this means. Throughout today, there are certain things that you have in your heart that have been distracting you all service. Whether it's pain, physical pain, emotional stuff, relational stuff, addiction stuff, whatever it is. There are things that are currently hurting you. If you have something that is currently hurting you, I want you to stand up right where you're at. We're going to pray for you. We are going to pray that the Holy Spirit unleashes His power in this place and that you might be loved on. Whatever it is, God already knows. He cares about it. He sees it. It already makes sense to Him. I know that if the rest of us looked at it, we may not think it's as big of a deal as you do. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's terminal. I don't care if it's a tiny thing that you go, you know what? I just feel hurt every day. Okay, everybody good locked in. All right, everyone else. You are now a prayer warrior. I want you to lay your hands upon them. I want you to get up out of your seat and go lay your hands on someone that is standing. If you accidentally lay your hands on someone that is actually just there to pray, praise the Lord. All right, no matter. This is, this is all of us doing it together, right? This is about God unleashing his power in our place, not through a person because I can't do anything. But God does everything, and He wants to show you His love even now. And He knows your need. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit through this crowd and touch them in Jesus' name. That, Lord, that if there is any pain that is going on, that you would heal it. That, Father, we know that you will sift our needs because we are just kids. We don't know what we need. A lot of times we want to have you take away things that are calling us to yourself, and you're not going to do that. But, Lord, there are so many things that are hurting us and afflicting us and wounding us that Lord, you want gone. And so in Jesus' name, I pray that you would be healed. That God, that you would come through and reveal to each one of them that you have begun a process in them that would begin to bring about your will in their lives. That Lord, we know that you are more than able. You are more than capable. You are more powerful than our weakness. You are stronger than our sin. You are greater with your grace than our wickedness. And so God, I pray that you'd begin to knit us back together. Lord, that you would restore those relationships, that you would break those addictions, that you would heal us from the very deepest place, from our backs to our wrists, to our ankles, to our knees. Lord, those of us that suffer from migraines, I ask that they would go away in Jesus' name. That, Lord, all those that have problems with their eyes, that they would go away in Jesus' name. Merely because you are good, not because of anything that we deserve or because we're super righteous, but because you are super righteous and you are good. So, God, we give you all the glory and praise today. We want to thank you for inviting us to your house and giving us presence along the way. Lord, we've had a wonderful time in your presence. We are so thankful to be known by you loved by you Holy Spirit come upon us even now I would just ask all of you to consider this question how would you know if God answered this prayer how would you know if God is working on it how would you know that God is near what do you need him to do to know that 
if you have a pain in your body, you got to figure out, is it gone or is it not gone? Either it is or it isn't. But what do you need to know that you've been touched by God? I want you to keep that in your mind right now. We're going to pray again. Heavenly Father, you have brought things upon our minds that would be little indicators that you love us. I ask, Father, that as you have placed those upon our hearts, so you will begin to move in our life. That even now, Holy Spirit, you would breathe like a wind through this place. That you would give us little indicators of your care and concern and protection and guidance. That, Lord, that if we're worried about a loved one that is lost, God, bring them to mind and let us know that you're working on it. God, if it was something that we were worried about, about what was going to happen, Lord, in our minds, Lord, begin to show us a new vision of what could be. Lord, we submit our lives to you and we symbolically in our hearts raise our hearts to you and we say thank you in anticipation. Lord, you are good. You are so sweet and kind. You love us all. Be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.